things that you said that I, I really appreciated, that um, you gotta, you got to pick your race. you got to pick your race, and then you got to train. you gotta, you got to go at it. you gotta, you got to prepare for the race that's set before you. And so when we gather every Sunday morning, hopefully you get a, that sense along the way, that when we gather together on Sunday morning, in a sense, we're preparing our hearts for the race that's set before us. And so we gather together this morning to do that very thing. You may notice that there may be some, by the way, some uh, faces that... Um, that are missing from among us, some, some people who would usually be familiar to you, you may not see there. We have a large group of people who are down at Sight and Sound this weekend, so we want to continue to keep them in our prayers that they would return safely. And uh, as far as I'm aware, we want to praise God that the entire team that, that traveled to, to Haiti has returned safely as well. I saw uh, them return to the parking lot, but I didn't want to be too creepy as I'm staring out the window at them that hour. I'm sure they were exhausted, but um, we praise God that they are home and we look forward to hearing from them and how, how their trip went. So, uh, so that's all, all things that we can do as we gather together as a church family and, and as we <clears throat> hopefully encourage one another in, in running the race that God has set before us. You know, the past few weeks, we've had the opportunity to look at this idea of, of faith, right? We've, we've had a chance to recognize that faith is more than just this mental assent to an idea. It's more than just saying, oh, yeah, that's true. It's actually uh, positioning our lives and living our lives as if this idea which we believe to be true matters, and so we, we live as if it's true. Pastor Dave has, uh, had talked about Christian, the Christian faith being a transfer of our trust off of the things of this world and onto God. It, it was a matter of acting on the basis of what God has said, regardless of the circumstances which can change from season to season in our lives. For, for some of us, we're richly blessed in our lives, and yet we trust in God. For some of us, we, we are walking through a very dark valley. We are enduring through some very difficult pains, and yet we have faith in God. For some of us, the season of our life looks like being both richly blessed and having to walk through some very difficult circumstances. I know it, it's a reality which is hard to understand unless you have walked through that valley. But it's a season of life that we walk through in faith. And in each of these seasons of our lives, we, we not only live by faith, but we live by faith by putting our trust in our Heavenly Father. Maybe you remember these verses found in Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 35 and 36. It says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Being confident that what God says is true and living accordingly is doing the will of God. The doing, doing what God has said is faith. It's trusting that what he has said is true and the promises which he has made will be fulfilled and so we live in faith. But you know what the reality is? Faith isn't easy. In fact, I would say that faith is very difficult. As Joe would tell you, I'm sure training for a marathon or training to run is a challenge. He talked about hitting a wall, something I will not know about because I am not a runner, a physical runner, that is. Um, but the reality is I hear testimony of others that have run, that have talked about this wall. And, and just as runners hit a wall in a race, followers of Christ hit a wall in their walk. Faith is hard. It's a challenge. It's, it's easier to trust ourselves to get the job done than to trust someone else to do it for us. You know, I think it's difficult to trust others in this way because the reality is that we've been let down by others. You know, we talked about transferring our trust off the things of this world and onto God. Well, I, you know, I think the reason why it's so hard to trust anyone else but ourselves is because as we've placed our trust in the things of this world, 
we've been let down. We've been disappointed. You know, we, um, when I, I bring my son to the bus stop in the morning, we, we sometimes will have a, a, well, if we're good and have actually gotten ready on time, we'll, we'll have a few minutes to spare at the bus stop, and so we'll play some games. And one of the games is, is a trust fall. And, and it's amazing to me how easily Alex will actually, actually trust himself to my arms. That, that I can tell him, okay, trust fall. You know, he, he, he doesn't, like, stumble backwards and, and think that I'm not going to catch him. He just falls into my arms. That's something I could not do. So, uh, you know, I wonder why it's so much more difficult for me than it is for him. I, I wonder why uh, he is so, easy, so easily trusting himself to me and trusting himself to me. Well, I think it's because I've proven myself trustworthy to him. So in faith, he trusted that I would catch him, and his experience of trusting uh, me affirmed the faith when he endured falling back into my arms. His childlike faith has not been influenced by skepticism or, or falling down or of not being caught. Well, think about this for a minute. I actually asked Alex this week, I said, Alex, if you could have me or your little brother Max catch you, who, who would you rather have catch you? And he said, you, Daddy, of course. And I said, why? Well, he said, well, Max isn't big enough or strong enough to catch me. See, I think we have to realize that when we trust God, we're entrusting ourselves to someone who is big enough who is strong enough to, to catch us. And so the challenge of, of faith is not in, in God and him being big enough or strong enough. It's in our ability to, to overcome the experiences we've had of entrusting ourselves to others in this world and being let down. Faith is difficult. It's not simple. We've been shaped by our experiences of trusting things in this world. We've trusted our finances and We've trusted in them until we've lost our job or until finances got tight. We've trusted in our abilities until we've been outperformed by someone younger, quicker, smarter, more well-equipped to do the job. We've trusted in relationships in our lives until we've been deeply wounded by their words or betrayed by someone's actions. In all of these experiences, it's made it difficult for us to transfer our faith off of the things of this world and onto God. But the reality is, regardless of how difficult living a life of faith is, it's the very best way that we can live. Because we have no choice. We have a race set before us. Joe mentioned that, that you get to think about, you get to pick your race. Well, I think we learn from God's word that we all have a race set before us. We don't get quite as much freedom to pick the race. We have a race to run. This is what Paul meant when he said in 2 Corinthians that we walk by faith, not by sight. We're all walking. And we need to make that decision today. Are we going to walk by faith or are we going to walk by sight? Our passage this morning, the author of Hebrews, offers us a bit of encouragement. Basically, the author is saying, hey, life is hard and living a life of, of faith is even harder, but the reward is worth it. He gives us some very helpful wisdom to living this life of faith, to running this race. Take, take a listen quickly to Hebrews chapter 12. Let's read our passage again together right now. In Hebrews chapter 12, we read these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the author, I'm sorry, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. See, God knows that running a race can be wearisome. It, it can be exhausting. It can be tiresome. The author of Hebrews knew the audience that he was writing to. He, he was writing to a community of followers of Christ who were enduring persecution, who were being challenged to, 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 to keep going in the faith. They were saying, well, you know what? Is life really that much better now? Maybe you should turn back to your old ways. And, and so he says, he shares these words that we just read from Hebrews chapter 12 to encourage the community he's writing to. And so I think we can learn a few things about what it means to live and run this life of faith. So I think the first thing we learned this morning about living a life of faith is that we need community. That, that we can't do this alone. God has created us for relationship. And the author of Hebrews highlights a very important benefit of a life of faith, that relationship. In verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. See, I, I think the author reminds his listeners that they're surrounded by many others who have lived their lives of faith. But even more so, the, the author of Hebrews, I don't know if you picked this up, he places himself within that community of the people he's writing to. He says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, now he may not be geographically right next to these people. He's sending them a letter to encourage them. And yet, he can somehow put himself in the same camp with them. The cloud of witnesses that he's referring to back in, in chapter 11, uh, they're, they're the people that we had a chance to look at over the summer. If you remember, we, we kind of went through a series on heroes in the faith. And, and we went by hero after hero that's highlighted in Hebrews chapter 11. They were people who lived by faith and whose lives are a testimony to others. The people of Hebrews chapter 11 teach us, that, uh, teach us much about living a life of faith, and they encourage us that we're not, not the first followers of God to endure pain and suffering and persecution. In, in fact, for many of us, we can, we can relate to them. They weren't the, the most perfect people to follow Jesus. Many of them had blemishes in their lives. And yet God found them faithful as they entrusted themselves to him. Think about this for a moment. Think, think about the encouragement we receive when we hear the testimony of another person. When, when someone shares their story about how God has been working their life, the most powerful moment in, the, in the, the testimony for the listener is that moment when their life personally touches the life of the person sharing their testimony. When, when we were back in, in seminary, we had some friends who welcomed their, their second son into the world. He, he was born with a rare genetic disorder, one that would be a very challenging time for them to raise this boy in a healthy way. And, and as much as the seminary community, the community of faith came around this family, they found the most comfort in connecting with other parents of children who had the same genetic disorder. They, they found comfort in knowing that there were people who understood their pain, they, they found comfort in knowing that there was someone who had walked before them who could give them wisdom in raising this child. They found comfort in knowing that they were not alone, that they were surrounded by other parents raising children with a rare genetic disorder. It was meaningful them, for them to be in community with other parents who understood their fears, their struggles, and could even give them wisdom in how to face the future that they had before them. 
We, we actually talked about this idea a few weeks ago, back in, in Hebrews chapter 10. When we were in Hebrews chapter 10, we said, we looked at verses 24 and 25 and said, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, I wonder what that experience is like. I, like I said, I'm not much of a runner, but, but I wonder what that experience is like when you take off from the, the start line in a massive crowd of people running. I imagine it's got to be difficult, first of all, because it's got to be hard getting that massive group of people moving. But as well, I wonder what the excitement is like. I wonder what the encouragement is like when you have that entire race before you. I'm sure you've got nerves going, raging through your body, and yet you see people that are starting the race with you. <clears throat> We need each other. We need each other to run this, right, this race of faith. Our faith needs the encouragement of being surrounded by other faithful followers. And not just across time. Not just knowing the story of those faithful who have lived before us, but also of knowing the people who are sitting in the pews beside us. We need to connect to the faith community, not just across history, but here at Trinity. We need the space to practice what we preach in our faith. To create spaces where we can be known by others and we can know others in the body of Christ. Where we can love and be loved. Where we can serve and be served. And where we can celebrate others and be celebrated. We need biblical community here, built up at Trinity. But the, but the thing about biblical community is this. You can't build faith community alone. You can't build it as a sole person. <laughs> By pure definition, we need each other to build biblical community together. So if you're passionate about building these spaces of biblical community, this Christ-centered community, would you talk to me? Would you grab my arm after the service and, and we'll make a plan to connect later this week, maybe? We need each other to help build this community. You know, we actually have some excellent places here at Trinity where we can encourage one another. And I think uh, on some level, some community does happen. But, but we need more. And I think we need people who value that community and would want to play, play a role in building that community up. The truth is, we were not created to live a life of faith alone, but like the author of Hebrews points out, we need to encourage one another. We need to encourage one another in community, stirring up one another toward love and good works. We need each other and we need biblical community. By, by the way, as a little side note, coming up on November 22nd, we have a, a new members class. It's an opportunity to hear a little bit about the history of Trinity and, and who we are and, and, and how we live out our faith today. But it's also an opportunity to learn some, some of how we practice baptism. And in preparation for, for, for being baptized, we'll offer services close to Thanksgiving where you could be baptized. And that's an excellent opportunity for the church family to celebrate what God has done in your life and to celebrate with your church family the work that he will be doing in the future as well. So if you're interested in becoming a member here and thinking about what it means to connect in community here at Trinity, if you're thinking about maybe that opportunity to take that step and say, I want to I share with my church family the relationship I have with Jesus Christ and celebrate what he's done in my life. If you want to be baptized, sign up. You can tear a page out of your bulletin. We've got a great insert where you can actually tear it out and make a note that you're interested in taking the class and, and put it in the offering plate as the usher service later on. That's coming up on November 22nd. Love to see you there. 
a community of witnesses in the faith encourages us. And with that encouragement, we can run our own race. Our own race of faith that God has laid out for each of us. Take a look again at at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which so easily, uh, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, like we said earlier, living a life of faith in God is difficult. We may talk about hitting a wall where it gets really hard, but I don't think that it's a walk in the park in those moments leading up to hitting that wall and running a race. It's exhausting. It takes everything, well, I should say, I've heard that it's exhausting and it takes everything in you. I mean, I've exercised, by the way. I'm painting a bad picture of myself. I've exercised, I've run, maybe not long-distance races, but, you know, I've been out there. heard that. Living a life of faith in God is difficult too. But you know what? As the author of Hebrews tells us, there's some things we can do to, to live by faith successfully and to overcome that difficulty. The author in our passage relates our, ra- our, our life of faith to running a race. And so if you are a runner, you understand these things probably pretty well. And if you're not a runner, guess what? I'm pretty sure you're going to understand these things pretty well. See, being a Christian isn't defined by, by this moment in your life when you just prayed a prayer. See, I think sometimes we, can, we do a really good job leading people to Christ by, by leading them to that point where they make that choice to, to surrender their heart to God and, and to confess their sins in prayer. But I haven't always done a good job laying out the lifelong commitment to being a disciple that's before those people. I don't know if you can relate to that. Being a follower of Christ is so much more than praying a prayer that confesses our sins. It's a daily surrender of our hearts and our lives to God and committing all that we are to him. It's not a short sprint, but a long-distance run. And in order to run, you have to lay aside every extra weight that could be weighing you down. Think about this for a minute. When, when we had the Summer Olympics and Michael Phelps was, was competing, you might see him on, uh, on, the, on the camera, on the TV, um, preparing for his race. And usually when he prepared for his race or when he walks into the, the, um, the, the pool area, you, know, you see him, he's got his head full, big headphones on, he's got a windbreaker on, he's got jogging pants on. I imagine that when he's ready to run his race, he doesn't jump into the pool with all that gear on. Or how about a soccer player, when, when she goes out to the, onto the field, she's not still wearing her wind pants or, or, or a long sleeve shirt. See, each of these athletes takes off the extra clothing they're wearing so they can actually move around the field and compete more uh, effectively. The, uh, the, the reference that the author of Hebrews is making here is referencing back to how Greeks used to run their races. They, they would actually strip off all their clothes before the race so they could run completely unencumbered. Joe, I wouldn't encourage that, by the way. You know, instead of us laying aside all of our clothing to follow Christ, we lay aside anything that hinders us from drawing near to him, including sin. When I, when I picture this idea of laying aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, I personally love to consider this idea of repentance. I, I know it's kind of an archaic term, right? It, it kind of has this <clears throat> old sound that, that isn't quite enticing or... or um, Maybe as enjoyable to think about as I might think about it, but, but I think what makes this word so rich 
is it's so much more than just saying sorry to someone. <clears throat> the word in the Greek, as it's used, <clears throat> kind of carries this little weight where, where it's actually this radical moral turning away from our old life and turning toward God. It's this word metanoia. And it's a radical shift in your lives, this repentance. Luke uses this word to record the story of Peter healing a lame man outside the temple in Acts chapter 3. There we read part of the story. It says, uh, Peter says, Repent therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. See, laying aside our sin requires an active effort on our part. It's not passive God does forgive us, but if we want true repentance, it's, it, it's, it's asking for that forgiveness from God, but then radically turning our lives away from our old, old self. And the beauty of it all, according to how Luke recorded it for us, is that we can be refreshed in letting go of those weights, of those sins. Let me be honest with you for a moment, though. I, I see, I think it's so much easier... To, to live my life in such a way that I don't have to do this by not letting people into my life. It would be so much easier going through this world, keeping my sin and the weight that, that so easily clings to me a secret. But my sin is never really a secret. We're told that at the end of our lives, we'll give account for our lives before our Creator. And when we do, everything that was hidden in darkness will be brought out into the light. <clears throat> it's kind of like, and maybe you've had this experience recently, it's kind of like walking into the kitchen after someone just snuck a piece of, your, of their child's Halloween candy when they weren't supposed to. Why try to hide it? I mean, come on, everyone sees the bulge in your cheek and, and they know why you can't talk. It's because you got a Reese's peanut butter cup stuffed away in your cheek like you're a squirrel trying to save food for the winter. <clears throat> Our sin is never a secret. Let's consider maybe then for a moment what the opposite is of us kind of hiding our sins and keeping them a secret from others. In James chapter 5, verse 16, we read this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. See, if we don't keep our, or if, if we don't keep our sins hidden in secret but confess them to one another, we experience a lifting of our hearts. We experience actual healing of our hearts. This is why we need to grow our biblical community here at Trinity. We need a space where we can have a brother or a sister in Christ who will help facilitate us surrendering the weight that is on our heart before God. We have some excellent spaces in the life of our church, but we need to invest in build, building safe biblical community where we can do things like this, confess our sins before God, where we can actually lay aside those weights and the sins that so easily cling to us and weigh us down. <clears throat> Confessing to one another is a way for us to experience healing and a great sense of encouragement as we run the race that's set before us. I don't know if you've read the book Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, but they also have another book that's kind of adapted for children called Little Pilgrim's Progress. And I've been reading that, that book with my children and <clears throat> In the story, there's this character, Christian, who's on this long journey. He, he's leaving this, this city of sin that he was living in and, and journeying toward the celestial city. And along the way, he becomes aware of this gigantic backpack, this backpack that's packed with burden, that's packed with his sin. 
And as he walks along, he becomes so aware of the weight that it is on his back and how exhausting it is to carry. And it's not until he gets to the foot of a cross where that backpack can be taken off of his shoulders. He can actually lay it aside and carry on his journey unencumbered by that weight. Well, just like Christian, we too need to be able to lay aside the sin and the burdens that weigh so heavily, uh, that weigh us down so heavily, so that we can walk forward, that we can run forward the race that God has set before us. So to successfully live a life of faith, we need to connect our lives to the faith community, and we need to lay aside anything, including sin, that would slow us down. Why? Because when we run, we need to run with endurance. Take a look one more time at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Did you know that you were in a race? Some of us live as if today is all there is. Some of us think that, you know what, I, I, I'm going to live for today. And in fact, Jesus says not to worry about tomorrow. But he doesn't say that there is no tomorrow. Jesus actually says in Matthew chapter 6, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have enough worries of its own. The reality is that how we live our lives today influences where we will be tomorrow. There, there's a traje trajectory toward which we are living our lives in this world, and, and, and there's a trajectory towards this world is headed. God tells his people through his prophet Isaiah in chapter 46, he says, remember this and stand firm. Recall to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. See, God has a specific plan that he is unfolding right now. God has a purpose for you and for me in this world. And for each of us, we have a race to run in that plan. I've, I know I've, I've said this already a number of times. I'm not a runner. I, I, I don't really like running. But you know why I'm not a runner? Because it's hard. I used to hate to have to run the mile run in middle school and high school. I did it, but I didn't like it. It was hard. Some of us may not find physical running to be our cup of tea, but you know what? We don't have a choice when it comes to living our life of faith in this world. We're all running in a race. So what are we to do when the running gets hard? Where do we turn for, for encouragement to endure through the difficulty? One of, one of the more popular and favorite passages from the Bible is Jeremiah 29, 11, where, where we read this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. So we come to this passage when we need encouragement to be reminded of a future hope, someplace beyond our current suffering and, and the current difficulty we find ourselves in. But you know what? This is a great passage to turn to. God speaking to his people who have been exiled from their land. They've been conquered by another nation. They've been kicked out. Babylon has taken over their country. They've exiled them and, and sent them out to different places within the nation of Babylon, and they now find themselves under persecution. You know, at the time that that verse from Jeremiah 29, 11 was shared, there were a number of false prophets who were also speaking. And they're saying, hey, don't worry. 
God's going to come back very soon, and he's going he's to defeat the Babylonians, and he's going to put you back in your land. But through Jeremiah, God's actually saying this. He actually tells his people, get comfortable. Get comfortable in the land that you've been exiled to. Build homes, plant gardens, make yourselves at home, because you're going to be there for a while. But in 70 years, I will return you to your homeland, and I will restore my relationship with you. In, in the verses following verse 11, we read this. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. See, God has promised a goal and an end to his race. It's restoration of relationship with God and a return to their true home. God is faithful to fulfill this promise. But in the meantime, the people of Israel, they're going to have to shift their running from a sprint to a long-distance jog. They're going to have to endure 70 years in exile. And I want you to notice something. This is not an individual race. This is a long-distance endurance race for the entire exiled nation of Israel. It's not one individual who's receiving this message, but the whole people of God. We don't run this race alone. We find encouragement to endure the suffering and the hardships we face when we trust in the promises of God and run as a family. A life of faith is difficult, running is difficult, and so we need to run with endurance. See, I, I believe we build this endurance in the form of encouragement found only in biblical community. You, you may have heard of a father and son running duo by the name of Rick and Dick Hoyt. Rick was born with uh, cerebral, cerebral palsy and was limited in his development and was relegated to life in a wheelchair. And when he was a young man, he, he heard of an opportunity to support another young man who'd, who'd been injured in a lacrosse game. And the, the, the opportunity was a benefit run that was about five miles long. And so he told his father that he wanted to run the race. So Dick pushed Rick the five miles of the race. After the race, because of Dick's encouragement and support, Rick was able to say to his father, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like I'm not handicapped. Because of the relationship with Dick, Rick was able to run with endurance through his own suffering. They've since completed over a thousand races together, including marathons, duathlons, triathlons, and six Ironman competitions. Rick was once asked if he could give his father one thing, what would it be? He said, the thing I would most like to give my father is for him to sit in the chair and for me to push him for once. See, Dick serves Rick by being his body to run. And Rick serves Dick by being the heart and drive for the races. They won't and can't compete in the race without each other. I wonder if you'll take a moment to just watch this clip about their lives together.
know, Dick and Rick, they, they need each other to run with endurance. The recipients of Hebrews, they need each other to run with endurance this f- race of faith before them. We need each other to run our race of faith with endurance. To live a successful life of faith, we need to connect to biblical community and through that community lay aside every sin and burden that weighs us down and run with endurance. And finally, we need to run our race with our eyes fixed before us on Jesus. We can't run our race with our eyes stuck in the past. If you ask any runner, if we were to have Joe back up here, we'd tell him, how is it How has it gone for you if you ran your race with your eyes completely on your past the whole time? We would trip, we would fall if our eyes were anywhere but fixed before us on the finish line. Listen again to verses 2 and 3 from our passage this morning. There we read this, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. See, I think the imagery painted for me here in our passage makes me think of a recent story about a young girl named Kayla Montgomery. Kayla was a young girl who who would uh, run track and and long-distance runs, or long-distance running in in school, in high school. But, But she also had a battle with multiple sclerosis. And so as she would end each race, because she ran and her body would heat up, her muscles, she, they, not that they would shut down, but she wouldn't be able to feel them. And so she couldn't come to a coordinated finish at the end of her race. And so standing at the finish line, ready to catch her, encouraging her forward, calling out to her, yelling to her, encouraging her along was her coach. And as she would cross the finish line, he would catch her in his arms And help her finish well. You know, we too have a coach who's well familiar with our race. We too have someone who's run the race before us and even made it possible for us to compete and then to complete our race. We have a coach who stands at the finish line of our life, ready to hold up every one of those finishing their race of faith. Jesus is our coach. He's the one we fix our eyes on as we run. He's the author and perfecter of our faith, our race, towards salvation through faith. Hebrews 2.10 tells us this. It says, For it was, it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. See, Jesus didn't just walk to the finish line and start yelling to us. He, he ran the race. The race that Jesus ran was one of suffering. He ran the race before him with endurance and joy in his sight because he knew what it would bring for all those running after him. He endured the pain of the cross and didn't care about being an object of shame. His race involved enduring the physical pain of the cross, the weight of the sins of the world, the wrath of his heavenly Father. And he did, he did it all out of love for you and for me. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And, we, and the one we remain focused on the whole time. When we do, we're going to find enc- he, that he encourages us and empowers us like Kayla Montgomery's coach did, shouting at us, encouraging us along, giving us instruction and wisdom. He is one who, is, who has run where we have run. Jumping along to Hebrews chapter 4, 
we're told this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As the author and perfecter of our race, Jesus personally has experienced the persecution, the pain, and the suffering that's involved in running. But he's also already finished, and now he stands at the finish line, beckoning us to follow him. Arguably, the three most important words in all the Bible are, it is finished. Jesus said these words as he, as, as he crossed the finish line hanging on a Roman cross as he died for your sins and for mine. He stands at the end of the race, inviting us to draw near, to come close. He's ready to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. We each have a race to run this day. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Connect into biblical community. Lay aside every weight and sin and run your race with endurance. Toward the end of his life, Paul writes these words to Timothy, his child in the faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You want to be able to say at the end of your life, like Paul, that you have run the race, that you've finished the, faith, that you've finished the race, that you've fought the good fight? We all have a race to run this day. Connect to the family of God and biblical community. Cast aside whatever sin is dragging you down. Run with endurance, fixing your eyes on Jesus, and do not be discouraged. Let's pray together. Father God, I ask for strength for us all today. Lord, I, I don't want to be so foolish as to think that, that we could dwell in these passages and then walk out the doors of this church and think that life is easy, that faith is easy. And to be honest, Lord, it terrifies me to think that the faith you call us to, the race you call us to each and every day, is going to be a challenge. And Lord, I, I know that it's going to become even more challenging as the day draws near when your son returns. And so, Lord, I ask and pray for strength today, for each and every one of us here, for those who are not able to be here with us now. Lord, I, I pray for strength that you would give us the opportunity to run this race of faith, but that we would also be encouraged to not, to not run it alone, but to run it with the people that you have gathered together as your body in this world. That we would recognize that we are running this race with the many faithful who have come before us. And most of all, that we are running this race with your son, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, I ask and pray that we would all walk out of here challenged to grow in trusting you, to transfer our trust off of the things of this world and onto you, God. You love us. You are trustworthy. You are big enough and strong enough 
for us to surrender our hearts and our lives into your hands. And we do that together today as a family of God before you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we continue to worship the Lord, I want to invite our ushers to come forward and serve us, and that as they serve us, we would be able to offer a love offering to God because of the, the, the God that he is and the things that he's done in our lives. So let's continue to worship the Lord as the ushers serve us this morning.